Okay, good morning again, everyone. Okay. So we're re- we are literally just going to dive straight in this morning, and we're going to read a Bible passage together. It should come up on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Okay, so just a wee bit of background to that passage. Um, In case you're not sure, many of the books in the New Testament are actually letters. And this is no exception. This letter was written to Timothy um, by Paul. Timothy was a young leader um, in the church of Ephesus and he and Paul had worked closely together. I think Paul sort of viewed him as a younger brother and Paul is actually writing this letter from prison and it's his second time that he's been there Um, and from the way that we read this and for the people that have kind of (coughs) looked into this passage they feel that he knew that his time was coming to an end and so as we read this letter there's almost a sense of urgency to Paul's writing especially in verse 1 when he writes in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Paul's teachings were very much instructions to church, often offered in just a couple of verses like that, but yet they are real nuggets of wisdom which have profound significance to us and to church today. And so this morning I want us to look at what Paul says in this passage about the truth and what searching for truth might look like for us today as followers of Jesus. So as I was preparing for this talk, I started to realize that I've always had a bit of a fascination for discovering the truth getting down to the nitty-gritty of what actually happened. I absolutely love crime dramas on TV. Anybody else? Sleuth? Yeah. Jillian? Yeah. Um, thank you, Jillian. Um, uh, I love to find out like what actually happened. I love just getting down to the truth. Um, I love the forensic dramas, such as Silent Witness. Now, people say to me, oh, it's so gory. But I just love that the truth is usually found eventually in a minute detail, something that's been overlooked at the start. And of course, to keep the drama continuing over lots of episodes, it keeps being overlooked, you know, for quite a long, long time. And I have to say, in our house, Andy and I are really competitive in being the first one to, to, you know, to call the whodunit. And now, very much, these sort of uh, series are about making the goody look like the baddie and making the baddie look like the goody and all of that. So you're with me, you know what I'm saying. And also, I remember in the 80s, I would have been uh, watching L.A. Law with my mum. Anybody old enough to remember the series L.A. Law? Yeah. Um, and then 90s, I loved Ali McBeal. Anybody Ali McBeal fans? Good soundtrack for that. And then more recently, The Good Wife. Anybody seen The Good Wife? Yep. Okay. Sounds like I watch a bit too much TV here, doesn't it? Um, and if you're not aware, all of these series that I've just mentioned, they're, they're uh, courtroom dramas. So, um, and the, the really frustrating thing is as you get to watch them, you get to find out more about legal loopholes probably than the actual truth. Isn't that right? Um, And it's a bit of an eye-opener. So how the truth can become distorted and the search then from the legal team perspective is on to find some previously overlooked detail or legal loophole, which is not necessarily the truth, but rather something that they can convince a jury that is close enough. 
something that is close enough to the truth. So the word truth is commonly used um, in everyday language. And I, I've, looked at, I've written down these phrases, and I'm the worst. I'm the worst offender. So phrases like, to be honest, I know that's one I use, or to tell you the truth, or the truth is, or keeping it real. That's my new favorite, keeping it real. And we often think of the truth very simply as what's true and what's false, or what's right and what's wrong. But what is perhaps more difficult is telling the difference from between the truth and the almost truth or the nearly truth. Many statements, opinions, religions, theories, and theologies can often seem true. They can sound true. They can look true. Think of that phrase, even salt looks like sugar. Okay, are you with me? So this phrase, truth adjacent, is one that I've become more familiar with recently. And for me, it just keeps coming up time and again. Okay, so if you're not familiar with it, what does it mean? Well, the word adjacent means close to or near to. And yet this kind of idea of truth adjacent has been around for quite a while. Um, the well-known Baptist preacher and writer of the 1800s, C.H. Spurgeon, said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. How challenging that is. So how many of you remember the film Liar, Liar? Jim Carrey? Okay, so here's the sort of premise of the film. Jim Carrey is a really crooked lawyer. Um, he's never around for his child, and his son is just getting fed up with this. And again, another birthday rolls around, and he's, his dad said he would be there, and he wasn't there. And so as the wee boy is blowing out the candles of the birthday cake, he just wishes that his dad would not be able to tell a lie. Okay, so this is... And of course, because it's a film, this is exactly what happens. So Jim Carrey, the crooked lawyer, finds that he actually can't tell a lie. And so you can imagine his job suddenly becomes extremely difficult. And all his cases are just so difficult because he can't exaggerate, he can't lie. Uh, so uh, he's actually involved in a case of a woman who just wants money that she thinks she's entitled to. That's a divorce settlement or something like that. And in the end, you know, he just knows that she just doesn't deserve it and there's no way. But then he finds out that she lied on her, her marriage certificate, so her date of birth was wrong. And so that one tiny legal detail meant that he won the case. She was able to get half of everything that she thought she was entitled to. Um, and at the end, he shouts, the truth shall set you free. Can you remember that bit? Of course, it was actually Jesus who said this first in John chapter 8. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So talk about out of context, that phrase, the truth shall set you free is used very often, but it is actually preceded by Jesus' own words, if you hold to my teaching, then you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So saying the truth shall set you free on its own, it's a bit of a truth adjacent, isn't it? It's close to the truth, it's almost the truth, but it's just not quite there. So by reading God's word, we discover that the truth shall set us free. So I'm starting to notice how easy it is for us to drift away from the truth of God's word. And instead, we're settling for our own truth and our own truth-adjacent narrative. Like, why is that? Why is it so easy? If we read Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Clearly, Paul knew that we would be persuaded <coughs> from obeying God's truth. So who or where does the persuasion not to obey the truth come from? Surely, if we knew the truth, 
Like if we knew the truth, it was, if, for example, if the truth was just written in one book and we knew it, surely we would always, we would live in it, wouldn't we? It would just be as easy as that. Here's the truth. We know it's the truth and we would live in it. But of course, we know that Satan is around. Maybe you've been uh, heard Satan being described as the enemy of lies. So I just want to remind us all this morning that, again, it was Jesus himself who described Satan in that way. And again, this is from John chapter 8. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Of course, this does not diminish our own free will to choose not to live in God's truth. But I think it's often more comfortable for us to believe that Satan does his work through criminals through tragedies and through trauma. And he does. Look at the recent news stories. Look at the recent terrorist attacks. It's awful. Thousands of people die in our world every day because some of the world is too greedy to share with the other. Satan does indeed kill, steal and destroy. But I think what is less comfortable and certainly makes me sit uneasy in my seat is the realization that Satan also does much of his work, his best work in churches and through believers, through us. And by his best work, I mean that he seems to be getting better and better at making lies sound like the truth. If like me, you keep an eye on social media, you'll be very aware of Christians who are familiar to us because of the books they've written, the churches or Christian organizations that they lead, or even just because they are highly prolific on social media. Most of these people are influential and will have gathered many followers who can identify with their particular views. Many of these high profile people have views that are deemed way out there or controversial. So I'm not gonna name any names of people because I just don't feel that's appropriate. But I'm sure many of you will have scenarios going through your head in your mind now as I'm speaking. Loads of topics such as creation, sexuality, heaven and hell, love, sin, and the Sabbath, even the Bible to name but a few. Sometimes this stuff is really helpful. It really challenges us to get out of our own boxes. But then sometimes it's not helpful. And we're the consumers, we're left wondering, is that true? We're left with the thoughts and the questions. It sounds like it could be true. It almost sounds true. It looks like it might be true. I think it fits in with my theology, so I think it's true. And it's not just well-known or big names, of course, but well-meaning friends, family, and other believers may also even sometimes unwittingly offer truth adjacent to us. People often tell us what we want to hear. So we've all probably at one point or another even been the person who agreed with the close enough truth. Am I right? More than likely, we've did it just out of not wanting to offend or upset someone or starting anything like an argument. And so by not offering direction towards God's word, we have unwittingly given truth adjacent our stamp of approval. And we didn't even mean to. We've all been there. And I have been there so many times. You're walking away from a conversation. You've hung up the phone. And you wished so desperately that you'd said something different. You wished you'd spoken up and said the truth. Wished that you'd just handled it in a different way. And we're all human. Andy Smith um, is the lead pastor of Belfast City Vineyard and recently I was there, he was talking to a group of leaders, um, it was in our church and he said this, when leading we need to be permitted, uh, sorry, we need to be committed to hard but loving conversations, a relentless pursuit of telling the truth, a relentless pursuit of telling the truth, that really, really challenged me and that applies to all of us wherever we, th we lead, in our churches, our families, in our jobs, whatever. 
And then the other side of it is often we know the people to go to who will tell us what we want to hear. That's right. It's tempting, isn't it? Often we go there to, to help us feel a wee bit better about ourselves and our own truth adjacent. Many of us will have that one well-meaning person in our lives who we, who we know will always tell us we're amazing and we're brilliant. We're always in the right and the sun shines out of our fill in the blank yourself there. Or more commonly now we might turn to Facebook or Instagram and have our own truth adjacent rubber stamped by likes from people that we don't really know and who frankly don't really care about us. Guys, this morning, don't be the friend that settles for truth adjacent. If we have permission to speak into someone's life, someone close to us, then we can honor them by sharing with them the truth, God's truth, in love and with grace. To love someone does not mean that we agree with everything they say or everything they do. We don't have to compromise our convictions and the truth of God's word to be compassionate and kind and keep being the friend that that person really needs in their life. I was reading a book over the summer called She Reads Truth by Rachel Myers and Amanda Williams. And I've got just a few quotes just in the next wee bit that I'm talking about, which I think you'll find helpful. And they say this, we've, off, we've been offered false gospels and taught truth adjacencies by some of the most well-meaning men and women that we'll ever know. But we read God's truth to find the truth. We study and know and memorize God's word because we cannot waste any more of our precious time on this earth believing lies. Even the lies that sound really good and entertaining and close enough. Here's another movie line for you. A Few Good Men, probably one of my favorite films, although I haven't watched it for a while. So Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, it's, it's a wee scene in court. Jack Nicholson's on the stand and Tom Cruise is uh, questioning him. And Tom Cruise says, I want the truth. What does Jack Nicholson say back? You can't handle the truth, that's right. And so for some of us this morning, we need to ask ourselves this question. And I know this is really serious this morning. Can we deal with the truth? Are we prepared to trust what God says in his word about what the truth looks like for us? No matter who we are, no matter what our lives look like. So not just reading the books and the blogs that suit our own versions. I wonder if one of the greatest challenges facing the church today is our handling of God's truth. We have a responsibility to handle it well so that we are ready to recognize the truth adjacencies that Satan loves to just throw in our way. Literally last week, um, as I was preparing this talk, and I want to be honest with you this morning, I just was finding it really difficult. Um, and I said, God, this is too difficult. And I was just thinking, I'm going to change. I'm going to change my topic. I'm going to change it. And so <laughs> I went on to Twitter, not because of that, just because I was there anyway. And, and this quote just jumped out as soon as I looked at it. And it's a tweet from Christy Wimber. And Christy Wimber is John Wimber's daughter. And if you don't know, um, John Wimber was one of the founding forefathers of the Vineyard Church. So she said this, we can always find someone to agree with what we want justified. Someone agreeing doesn't make it right. Rightness is defined by God and his word. That's exactly, I was just like, yeah, rightness is defined by God and his word. I was like, yes, I was doing the keeping it real fist pump uh, over my iPad. And I just really felt God saying, carry on with the talk. And so I have. And so remember what Jesus said or, or when I read it earlier in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Friends, this morning, Jesus did not die on the cross for truth adjacent. When we start to live by truth adjacencies, we begin to do some of that work of salvation ourselves. 
working hard enough by ourselves to ensure that we live up to what we deem is the close enough truth. By defaulting to this line of thinking, we are suggesting that Christ must need our help to save us, that we can help him to save our souls by striving to do everything right rather than doing the right things. The things that we read about in here, this is my Bible, this is the new Bible. This is not the gospel. Here's another quote from She Reads Truth. God's word is truer and more lasting than the truth adjacent theories the world will try and sell you. Whether we struggle to remember whose we are or successfully satisfy an almost gospel, both situations find us equally and desperately in need of Christ's finished work on the cross. So as we come into land this morning, maybe we can ask ourselves this question. What truth adjacent theories are we allowing the world to sell us? And this will look different for everybody. Guys, we need to be equipped to identify God's truth from Satan's carefully presented lineup of imposters. And it's everywhere. And so there's lots of things that we can do. But I have sort of three suggestions here that we might want to consider this morning to help us. So firstly, do we have a mentor or a wise or older Christian friend like Timothy did Paul? Someone who will speak God's truth into our life. Someone who will not be afraid to help us to identify any truth adjacent that we have been sold by the enemy of lies. Uh, I was 40 in January and Andy's nearly 40. I know, he's a toy boy. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? And it's been one of those milestone years for us. Um, and probably for the first time in our lives, we do have people who tell us the truth. And I'm not going to stand here and say it's easy. It isn't. It's hard. It is sometimes really uncomfortable. But in the end, it is so good. <laughs> it really is good to have people in your life that will tell you the truth no matter what. And yes, they're probably a better friend to you than the people who just tell you you're brilliant, you're amazing, you're fab all the time. And I know you all are. You all are amazing, brilliant and fab. I'm going to say that now too. So if you don't have somebody in your life, it's time to ask somebody. You know, ask someone, will you be the truth teller in my life? Will you help me? Will you help me to just be able to see clearly the things that are not true in my life and the things that are? And secondly, I just want to talk a wee bit about seasons this morning. In verse 2 of what we read earlier, Paul said, be prepared in season and out. Um, a different translation uses the word whether the time is favorable or not. And Paul meant that sometimes the truth wouldn't be very cool or trendy or hip depending on the temperature of what was happening in the times. Like, isn't that so true today? This gospel message that we have, this truth that we know about, people don't want to hear it. They're happy with a sort of washed-down version, a watered-down version, you know, but they're not prepared often to hear the truth. And, you know, in this church, we talk a lot about seasons of life, qu quite often from the front. So, <clears throat> you know what I mean, seasons of parenting, unemployment, singleness, potty training, seasons of bereavement, illness, career successes, and all of that. And so I just really felt God compelling me to say to, today to be clear about what, we don't, what, would, what we're not meaning when we're talking about seasons. What we're not talking about is how we happen to be feeling about God dependent on our circumstances in a particular season. Guys, the storms will come. If you look back at what we've just read in verse 5, Paul tells Timothy to endure hardships. And all over the Bible, there's loads of examples of where we're told that the storms will come. So, you know, Paul doesn't say, if, if you have some hardships, endure them. He says, endure hardships. Remember, Paul himself was writing from prison. 
And he was probably fairly certain, as I said at the start, that his time on earth was almost done. Friends, if we put our identity solely into our circumstances and not into what God's word says about who and whose we are, we will stay on a roller coaster feeling nauseous and fairly confused. If you don't know of the roller coaster I'm talking about, please download Chantel's podcast from the end of June. If we don't get off this roller coaster at once and for all, then we are going to continue to make decisions in life based on our feelings and not based on this truth, this truth that we know and read about. This one. Our vision will become impaired. We might not be able to recognize truth adjacencies when we are presented with them. And thirdly, and most importantly, guys, we need to read our Bibles. The world would like us to believe the truth adjacency, that the Bible is nothing more than a helpful go-to book or a bit of advice when we need help making a decision, a history book, or a place to go to choose a nice verse to text someone who's having a bad day. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, of course. The truth is that as Christians today, we need God's word. We need it so desperately. There's so much confusing and conflicting information out there. The Bible is more relevant today than it's ever been. If we're here this morning and we think the Bible's out of date or old-fashioned, then we've gone way beyond truth adjacent. This all might feel a bit new to us, but clearly from the passage we read in 2 Timothy, Paul worked this out 2,000 years ago. Here's a wee quote from the book again. Paul knew that truth adjacent would be appealing, and so he warned us then, if we're hanging our hats onto something that points us away from our need for Jesus, it's just not true. If that isn't relevant for today, I don't know what is. And so, guys, i just be honest, I struggle with reading my Bible at different times in my life, so... I don't want anyone here to be sitting feeling, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. No, it's not like that at all. Today's the day to start. Get your Bible out if you haven't had it out for a while. If you don't like your Bible or the version, then get a new one. If you don't have a Bible, buy one. If you can't afford a Bible, please come and speak to me and I will make sure you get one. Get yourself some Bible reading notes if you feel that you're lost in Bible apps, okay? If you're really into your technology, use a Bible app because there's some really good ones out there. Get to one of the life groups that's going to help you where people are going to open the Bible together and look at it together. Anybody remember the X-Files? Does anyone remember what the, your sort of tagline was? The truth is out there. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say the truth is in here. God's word. You know, sometimes I feel as Christians we're groping around in the dark <coughs> looking for truth. We're so concerned about what our opinion should be on different subjects. And may I just really gently suggest in love that we need to get off Twitter and get into God's word. Guys, we're living in the times of fake news, photoshopping, and now alternative facts. I don't even know what that is, if I'm going to be honest. Truth adjacent is everywhere. We were at New Wine recently, and the talk on the last night, the, guy, the speaker said this, make no mistake, we are at war. The devil has been calling the church out with his lies. And in the Paul's second letter, Timothy, that we read earlier, you could sense that urgency, and that was 2,000 years ago. I met a friend during the week, and she said to me, you know, I just feel this incredible sense of urgency. And I was speak she was speaking to a friend of hers that wasn't a Christian. And I think that's how I've been feeling too. You know, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that the only thing that will do is the truth. The whole truth and nothing but. You know, I know this talk has sounded really heavy this morning, but there's really good news. You know, we have hope. We believe in a God who is 100% truth. 
The truth of his word will remain when everything else has passed away. So I don't know about you, but I've decided I'm not going to settle for anything less. So what are we settling for this morning? If it's not God's truth, then we're missing the best that he has for us. Marlene, guys, you want to come? I know this is difficult this morning. I, I do. And I think as I sort of I'm frustrated because I've been struggling, even though it's the truth. And I know that this is the truth. And so I, everybody hear me this morning. There's just lots of different information out there. But we have, I said earlier, we have a book. And it's not just a book, it's a person. God it was the word in the beginning, like we sang earlier. This book is so important. It's so important that we look at it, that we read it, that we share it together, and that when we do read bits of it and we think, oh, I don't know, this is so difficult, that we get together and we look at it and we figure it out. <coughs> so I wonder this morning, what, is, what are the truth adjacencies that the world is selling you that you're settling for? Because settling will always mean missing out. It always will. Whatever we're settling for, it will always mean that we're missing something. Okay, okay we're going to stand and sing together. <laughs>